church planting is a wonderful thing. We planted a church um, many years ago in Waco, Texas, and uh, we bounced around to seven locations. So I hope you guys can stay here. Our church culminated into uh, buying a 60-year-old bowling alley that I learned to bowl in when I was 13, and uh, we purchased it from AMF Lanes and completely gutted it, turned it into a, a church. Uh, great, great opportunity, neat time, and then we planted a church in Hewitt, Texas, which is right outside. And so I took a break a few years ago and uh, started working with the ministry out of Uganda, Africa. Um, I had become friends with some Ugandans over there and their ministry. I'd served over there before. And uh, so it just seemed like the right timing for us. I don't know if it was a midlife crisis or what, but uh, it seemed like the right timing. And so I've done that for about two and a half years. It's been a privilege uh, to serve. But I love what I see here, and I hope that uh, many of you are inviting your neighbors. Some of you have come here probably because someone invited you or you live in the neighborhood, so we're glad you're here. Um, I, I want to take you back 20 years. This isn't an official 9-11 sermon, but it, it is interesting that 20 years ago today, yesterday, um, was a significant point in our American history. Uh, some of you are here today. You were not born then. Uh, some of you have very, very small memories of it. Um, but some of you remember it really well. Some of you may have a story like mine. I walked into a Benny's Bagel where I would go every few days a week, meet with clients or visit people back then. And, uh, and there's a television. And we saw a plane fly into a building. And at that point, people thought it was probably just a private pilot, got off course. Tragic, but that's about as far as it was going to go. And so I left. And it's embarrassing to stay, but I left to go purchase a different vehicle. I was actually shopping for a car. And so I went to the Honda dealership, and by the time I got there, the world had changed. And I sat in somber silence, really, with other customers, service techs, salespeople, as we sat in their lobby and watched what unfolded. I made my way to my parents' house because my wife was there picking up our kids. We had two little kids at the time. And she was picking them up, and so I said, I'm, I'm on my way there. And, and I don't know if you've had these moments where you find yourself overcome with grief for something that has nothing to do with you directly, but you just feel the pain of other people. And hopefully you've had those moments. We should. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing that our hearts just get broken for other people. And I sat on my parents' little green sofa in this playroom I grew up in, in this house, and I just sobbed and sobbed. And it was crazy that the, the, that afternoon I was talking with a friend of a friend and we found out that our buddy Bert was um, going to go to New York City. He's going to drive there. He's a, a licensed mortician, ran a funeral home, and he was affiliated with FEMA. And all the morticians around the country assumed that they might be needed in New York City. People thought there were going to be thousands upon thousands of bodies to deal with. As most of you know, there were virtually no bodies to deal with because of the heat had in, in short kind of evaporated the bodies. There was nothing. But we didn't know that. But we got in the car with Bert and we drove all through the night. And so by the 12th or 13th, I was, I guess the 13th, I was on the ground in the heart of New York City. We passed signs that said, don't come in. And we went in because he was convinced this is where he needed to be. And so we wandered the streets. We weren't really qualified to do much except just meet people and pray with them and talk to them. But that that few days of my life will stand as a stark memory for me. We made our way back. As I reflect on that time, I think of 
some simple words that I want to share today. And, and they really were the words of, we're in trouble. Like, we are in trouble as a nation. I worried about what this was going to mean for my kids, what it was going to mean for our freedom. It was, it was just so many unanswered questions. And here we are 20 years later, and, and you'd like to think that, you know, that was going to be that time in your life at the age of 35 that, that I was saying, I'm in trouble, we're in trouble. Maybe everything else will be smooth sailing since then, right? But you and I both know that's not true. Because there are times you say we're in trouble, meaning some corporate body, the government, the church, whatever it is. And then there are times you say, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with my finances. I'm in trouble with my marriage. I'm in, I'm in trouble with my health. There's all these issues that face us. And suddenly all those big global troubles seem to pale in comparison to our troubles. And whether it's personal trouble or something big, or maybe it's something that even that we can't control, like a global pandemic. I mean, there are people who have sat around the last 18 months and said, we're in trouble. In Uganda, my friends, they were in double trouble. They had the COVID virus, but they had a complete government lockdown. And when you have 50% unemployment and people living hand to mouth every day, a complete and total lockdown, the last thing they're worried about is COVID. Now they're worried about poverty and death. They were in trouble. You look at the waves that hit the shores of New Orleans, and it's ironic that, that you thought the, the problem was going to be New Orleans, and then those high winds and the rains went all the way to the subways of New York City and into New Jersey. And more people died on the Northeast than they did in New Orleans. People were in trouble. We seem to be in trouble a lot. Maybe you've got stories you could tell as well. But the Word of God is so kind to us because it says in very eloquent language what to do in times of trouble. And so we're going to share today from Psalm 46. You can turn there if you'd like. And the reason I want to share this one is just a beautiful passage, but also because it's timely, I think, maybe for historic events and for current events and maybe for your own life, but also because working with Ugandans, it is one of the passages that has meant the most to them over there. And my friend, Pastor Peter, who leads the ministry in Uganda, speaks about it often. So I'm going to read through Psalm 46. Let it be a blessing to you and exhort you today. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He turns the chariots with fire. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you that you give it to us for our edification for our correction, for our reproof. And so, God, we're asking today that you would let this word impart to us, fill us up, transform our lives. 
And Lord, as the one who's delivering this message, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, Lord God. You're my strength. You're our redeemer. Lord, I'm awful mindful to ask, Lord, if, if the words of this fallible man stumble and fall short, Lord, I am trusting that the power of the Holy Spirit will move in the hearts and minds of men and women here. We trust you in that, Lord God. In your name, amen. Amen. So I want you to, if you, if you could kind of get in your mind, a middle picture of a bookshelf, and we've got bookends on both ends. I don't know what your bookends may look like. Uh, I've had, you know, animals and, and different things of bookends of, on my bookshelf. But we're going to have some books in between. But what I want to do is start with this bookend, and we're going to end with the other and talk about some of what's in between all that. And in this passage, there's various metaphors and analogies that we're going to lean into to understand more about this passage. But I hope that in the end, we end on this real high note of really seeing how God is moving in our lives, who He is, why He does what He does, what He's doing And so we're going to start with this very simple first verse. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, we could jump right into the words, refuge, strength, trouble. We'll do that in a second. But but I've really got to talk about God is. God is. In the Hebrew, the word is Elohim. It means the powerful one. God is the powerful one. It's the same word used in creation in Genesis The powerful triune God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, was creating, and right here, the Elohim God, the powerful one, is telling us he is three different things for us. He's making that clear. Now, he's not speaking. At the end, he'll speak, but right now, this is kind of the psalmist speaking, right, into our lives and declaring this truth about God, that he is the all-powerful one. And in that, he's powerful in refuge and strength and in times of trouble. So I want to look at each of those just briefly, that God is our refuge. He's a, what we might say, is a place of safety. So, so right now, I'll give you some examples. Y'all think of what is that place of safety for you? Think about it like this. For a soldier, it's, it's a bunker, right? For a patient, it's a hospital. For the orphan, it's a new home, right? For, for when you're in a storm, it's a shelter, now, I don't know what your place of refuge is, but you can think about it, the physical place of refuge that you might experience in your life. For some of you, just being close to family is your refuge. In the Bible, it speaks about refuge often. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 3, it says, My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, my stronghold, and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Remember that last word, you save me from violence violence. Psalm 59, 16, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Psalm 61, you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. I really think it's interesting when you put all that together, God is our refuge in times of violence, whether that's war, whether that's uh, you know nature, whatever it is, violence. In times of distress, personal, emotional, maybe physical, psychological stress, he's our refuge against our enemies. If you're like me, you don't feel like you have a lot of enemies, but all you got to do is read the Bible and know that if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there will be enemies. We have people across the world who face that every day. 
living with the reality their enemies could live around the corner or be the government that overrules them. We're fortunate here in America we don't experience that as much. But there's another thing about refuge that I don't want to miss here. It sounds like I'm speaking a lot about the physical, right? But if you think about it in the spiritual realm, listen to this, Psalm 2520. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. I think of God as a safe place from condemnation and shame. And I think of that because that's what the Bible tells me. One of the greatest chapters and one of the greatest books in the greatest book is Romans 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to tell you to rewrite the scriptures here, but just to give a better, maybe a deeper understanding or a different understanding of this, there is therefore now no condemnation or shame for those who have refuged themselves with Christ Jesus. So before we go any further, let me just ask you this question. If you're here today, is Jesus your refuge from your condemnation and shame? Is he your refuge? And if you don't follow Jesus Christ today and you're here today because a friend invited you, just wondering what was going on, that's good news today for you. That Christ can be the refuge, not just from storms and everything else, but he's your refuge for the ultimate storm, right? The, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, which is real and just. And perhaps what we learned here today already is that Christ is our refuge. Turn to him today. And for those who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I want to encourage you, we are prone to wander away from this truth. You reclaim this truth today. He's your refuge, but he's also your strength. He is our strength. I think this describes the activity of God. Right? If one declares sort of the, the character and nature of what he's doing, this seems to describe the activity of God. He's strong. He, he goes before us. He goes behind us. He fights for us. He defends us. The book of Isaiah, chapter 41, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, God says. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oftentimes, we speak about the right hand of God or the righteous right hand. Such a beautiful picture of that. And here's what I think is interesting about humans is that we say in some sense, he is my strength, but we're working it out every day that other things are our strength, right? My retirement account, that's my strength. My talent, that's my strength. My family, which can become an idol for people, is my strength. My health is my strength. My possessions are my strength. This church is my strength. And I know that's said, and it may be ways they don't intend, but friends, we have to make sure we realize that it is God and God alone who is our strength. One of the greatest preachers that ever lived Throughout the 19th century was Charles Spurgeon, the preacher of preachers, they called him. And he said this, God alone is our all in all. All our strength is weakness, for power belongs unto God. He, he sort of ranks all that I just said. He ranks it, right? And he just said, God is our strength. And everything else, Pastor Jay, just said about our bodies or about our money or about our family, or about our homes, is weakness compared to that. So God is our strength. But he's more than that. He is our very present help in trouble. I didn't write this. I can't find who wrote it, but I like this sentence. It says, God is an exceedingly, extremely always present help when we are in trouble. 
exceedingly, extremely, always present help when you're in trouble. Hang on to that. That truth, I believe that's not a biblical truth, but it is a truth written based on Scripture. Extreme, exceedingly, always present with us. And you say, well, how is that possible? Well, it's possible through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If God is on the throne and Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, according to the Apostles' Creed, then where is the Holy Spirit? If you're in Christ, He's in you. And He is a very present help. You don't have to go look for Him. You don't have to go find Him. He's there. He's with you in the storms of life. When we are in trouble, He's present. And so we get to this simple phrase, therefore, we will not fear. And this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Most of you have agreed with everything I've said so far. Yeah, refuge, strength, very present help. And then I pull out this, therefore, we will not fear. I want to say something about that in a minute. Before we do, let me, let me just kind of take you down my path. You know, 9-11 was, was certainly a fearful time for a lot of people. But nothing can eclipse the fear I felt even before that in about 92 or 93. Jared, our firstborn, came out blonde hair, blue-eyed, cutest little kid, running around, um, starting to toddle, you know, little guy, 15 months. Um, Lydia was feeding him in his little high chair, and uh, she said, Jay, Jared's left eye is like moving back and forth. It's like, what? Yeah, it's just like that. Well, that's strange. So we went to the doctor, an eye doctor, an adult eye doctor, actually. And uh, we didn't even, you know, just he was the one we knew. And he says, you know, I think that's what's called spasmus nutan, but you ought to go see a specialist in Dallas. Okay. So I thought, probably just going to tell us the same thing, which she did. She said, you know, it's, it's just spasmus nutan. It goes away when they're two or three years old, happens to a certain percentage of kids, not a big deal. But why don't you have an MRI done on his head just in case? It's like, okay. You know, you've probably had doctors tell you this. Okay, we'll do that. Months or so went by. We got it all lined up. Took my little boy in there, and he was giggling and laughing. You gave him the little juice that kind of makes him wobbly and tired, and he lays down, put him through that loud contraption, right? Comes out. It's on a Thursday or Friday. We get a call from a radiologist on Saturday. Now, I just want to tell you, you do not want to hear from specialists on the weekend. You just don't. It's never good. If it's good news, they'll wait till Monday. If it's bad news, they'll tell you on Saturday. And we find out at the age of 25, 26 years old, young, new job, life is, you know, whole life is ahead of us. They tell us that Jared has an optic brain tumor all throughout his optic nerves. And so if you look down at the bird's eye view of my son's head, you see this cross and, you know, the, uh, the nerves, and, and his are full of tumor. Now, this just blows our minds. Like, what does this mean? What's it mean for his future? Is he going to die from this? Is he going to have complications? And so the course of number of years and years, we went through chemotherapy, and Jared's had probably 50 MRIs. Um, we've gone through all these things. You can do the math. He's about 30 years old now. But um, the end result, I'll tell you this quickly. Jared's 30 years old, about to move to Austin, doing great, uh, just a vibrant he's a worship leader, done all these different things, doing fine. But uh, what it did to him permanently is affect his optic nerves. And so Jared can't, he has a visual impairment. Um, you wouldn't notice it mostly, but um, he's, he had a lot of other things we thought were going to happen that didn't happen, praise the Lord. But I tell you that story because some of you may have something similar. 
And I can tell you that when that story comes, and then you read the Bible that says, do not fear, it's a command. But then when you read this passage, in a lot of whatever trouble you're going through, and it says, we will not fear, that's different. 35 times in Scripture at least, somewhere between you know, the time of Abraham all the way to the writing of Revelation, you're going to see do not fear, should not fear. But as far as I can tell, only one time in the Bible does it say we will not fear. Now that is a declaration. That's not a command to tell me something. That's me saying I'm not going to fear this. And that's what he's telling us to do. I will not fear. I will not fear optic tumors. I will not fear planes going into buildings. I will not fear wildfires on the West Coast. I'm not going to fear changes in laws. I'm not going to fear who's elected president one year or the next. I'm not going to fear. Because he's my refuge in those times of trouble. He's my strength in those times of trouble. And he's my very present help in those times of trouble. And if you want more encouragement than that, look at the book of Romans. This isn't on your screen, but go to the book of Romans if you would. This particular passage is arguably one of the most well-known. It goes like this in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And I might add everything I've already said as examples to that. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. The no is to the question earlier. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is your first bookend. And we're going to get to the second bookend in just a few minutes. But right in between, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about some of these verses. They give us this beautiful picture of two things. So hang on to these two things. That we don't have to have fear in the uncertainty of nature and the instability of nations. Remember those two things. Uncertainty of nations, nature and the instability of nations. When I was 14 years old, my dad came home uh, from a trip to Seattle. And, uh, and I had heard about this Mount St. Helens thing back in 1980. I would heard about Mount St. Helens, this huge volcano that erupted. And, uh, but my dad would always bring stuff home from business trips. This time he brought a little glass, kind of looked like a, you know, one of those little tubes, you know, a little lid on top. And it was full of ash that came from Mount St. Helens. I'm like, wow, thanks, Dad. <laughs> you really went all out for this gift on this business trip. A glass thing full of ash. But anyway, uh, I probably didn't keep it around. But he started telling me about this, this eruption that I didn't know a little bit about. Maybe the school had taught me some things. This thing was massive. I mean, I mean it was the largest eruption since 1915. It spread 50 miles plus. Uh, the clouds could be from states away. People saw the ash. It was horrific. A lot of people died from it. And, and I started thinking about this when I read this next passage because I think about nature and how powerful it can be. It says in verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. 
The best thing I can figure out from this is that mountains are literally being moved into the sea like a, like a volcano who parts of the sides of the volcano have fallen like a landslide into the sea, which is what happened with Mount St. Helens. It went into towns and into waters. And because of the molten lava, the sea literally begins to foam and to erupt. But what it says here is, then the mountains are trembling. I don't know if they're trembling before or after. I just know they're trembling mountains in the ocean. This is how powerful God is, but it's also how powerful we see that nature can be that strikes fear in many people. Now, you've probably never seen anything quite like this, but you read about it in the Bible. Disciples out on the boat, right? The storms start raging, foaming, erupting, and they start trembling like the mountains. And Jesus is just sleeping, you know, on the back deck. And he wakes up, says, peace be still. Why are you guys worried? Just peace be still. And the whole place, the whole ocean, the sea, just calms down. With the word of God's voice. I think Scripture gives us all this to keep reminding us that God is providentially ruling and reigning over this world. He holds the heavens in his grip of his hands, the tornadoes, the winds, everything is under his command. And so that's why we can be still and comforted in that. He goes on to say, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help when morning dawns. Now, this language is a little unusual to us, but imagine you were an Israelite reading this sometime later, and you're, you're trying to figure out what's he talking about when he says the city of God. Well, to them, it would have been the city of Jerusalem. The problem with this is that the city of Jerusalem does not have a river running through it. It's got some streams, but no rivers. And so I, I believe it's more of an allegory, right, of a metaphor that is meant to be literal in this sense. So I want to take you to passages that sometimes explain uh, the metaphors. Sometimes they do it in metaphors. But in Revelation, this is what it says in chapter 22. Just I want you to put it on the screen so you'll see it as I read it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with his twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It goes on to say this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. At night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp for sun. Or the Lord will God will be their light, and they will be reigning forever and ever. So now when you think about what is the city of God, the city of God is the kingdom of God. And who rules and reigns in the kingdom of God? Christ. So when we get this picture of this, of this river running through the city of God, it's the river of life, which is Jesus Christ. And we don't have to worry about the darkness because in the morning, when the night comes, Christ, light of Christ dawns in our life. So I want you to just, get, just this should warm your soul a little bit. When you read these passages that sometimes don't make sense, don't trip over them. And then ask for someone else to figure out. It's for us to figure out. To figure out that when we talk about the city of God, we're talking about the kingdom of God. And then we ask the question, who's the king of the kingdom? That's Christ. And it says here twice, it talks about the lamb. So here's what I want to tell you. The, the earth may give way. The mountains may move. The climates may change. 
Tornadoes are going to sweep through Oklahoma. Hurricanes are going to hit us. All that. But if we're in Christ, we will not be moved. Through Christ, you're going to find refuge and strength. And then according to this, from Christ, light will dawn against the darkness. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he comes in and shines against the darkness of our trouble. So I want you to remember this when it comes to nature. Claiming God as your refuge and strength is a preemptive strike against the fear and the uncertainty of nature. Claiming Christ. Claiming Christ is your refuge and strength. It's a preemptive strike against fear and the uncertainty of nature. You say, what about instability of nations? What well, says here in our passage today, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If you allow me, I want to I turn to our country for just a minute. I'm not going to get political on you. But I'm going to speak to you just like I'd speak to any other country. Because I believe whatever country you live in, you should like your country. You should like your government. You should like the people. You should want it to be a great place. And many citizens of countries across the world love their country. We wave the flag. We're proud of it. All those things. But I think it's important that we put it in context to our citizenship, which is in heaven, which trumps our citizenship in America. We also need to be mindful that trouble may come to us. America is a unique country. We've experienced unparalleled freedom and prosperity. We're probably the most ethnically and religiously diverse country uh, in the world. We've sent missionaries all over the world, probably more than any other country. We've sent missionaries all over the world. We defend our allies. We educate our children. We protect our citizens. But I want you to know, just based on Scripture here, that we can and we do rage war against each other domestically, globally. And our elected officials can totter. (laughs) They can fall, and they will. Our laws, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, our economies, our armies, everything we know as America can pass away by two things, a physical war or by the mighty, righteous hand of God choosing to melt everything we know. Do you understand that? That is sobering. That should make us run to the foot of the cross and to the throne of God and say, we are yours. We're in your hands. Because he can literally melt the ground under our U.S. Capitol. He raises up leaders and he puts them down at his will. And the Lord of hosts, his words, his doctrines, his truths, those are the things that will last forever. There are no human documents. There are no human nations. There are no human leaders that won't end up being tottered and won't end up falling away. It is Christ alone and his word that lasts. That is why we take refuge in him. So the other thing, along with nature, is claiming God as your refuge and strength as a preemptive strike against fear in the instability of nations. Now, let me turn to one of these, this last part of the passage. He uses the word, and I don't want to put it up here yet, but he uses the word behold. And I don't know about you, when I hear the word behold, I often think of like maybe a museum curator who's, let's say, at Field Museum in Chicago. I've been there before. You walk in, and there's a skeleton of a T-Rex. And I can only imagine when that thing was presented, because it's massive, you know, and th- th- there was probably a big curtain around it and some 
really flashy museum curator came in and said, behold, and the curtains drop, and there's the T-Rex, right? Or maybe as you watch America's Got Talent, AGT, and you see those magicians up on stage, and at some point they, they do some big hand gesture, right? They probably don't say behold, but something like that, abracadabra, whatever the words are, and, and that curtain drops, and you're like, whoa, what happened to the lion? It was on stage, and now it's somewhere else. What happened to that person? They're, they're in the back of the room. They were in the front of the room. And our minds are blown by that, right? So, so what he's saying here, he says, come, behold the works of the Lord. How he brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. I want you to see the activity of God, the psalmist is telling us. Behold, this is your God. He can do amazing, powerful things. And he wants us to behold them. One pastor said when, when he preached on this, uh, he was talking about how we get so just used to just our own problems. And he makes this quote. He says, we all too often give a passing glance to God while we gaze at our Goliaths. And what we're supposed to do is not give a passing glance to God, but trust in the God who defeats our Goliaths. Instead, we give a passing glance. We don't behold the power of God. Now, some of you like to read, you like to watch videos of pastors. I want to add H.B. Charles to your list. H.B. Charles, a powerful pastor, and it's not very often I can pull something straight from a sermon. It's like, this has to be said. You know, it's like, it's said once in his sermon, it needs to be repeated. So H.B. Charles said this in relation to this passage. He said, no one fights for us like God. He destroys the weapons of the enemy so the enemy cannot defeat us. He breaks the bow so the enemy can't hurt you from afar. He shatters the spear so the enemy can't hurt you up close. And when the enemy is in hot pursuit of you, he sets its chariots on fire. You need to behold the works of the Lord. Whether your enemy is from afar or up close or in hot pursuit of you, whether it's your enemy of sin or your enemy of someone who has hatred for you or an enemy of another country coming after us, it is God who can break the bow, break the spear, and burn their chariots with fire. The forces of nature and nations are not a threat to the people of God, to those united with Christ and indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, because he is our refuge and strength. Which brings us to the last book in. This is where God speaks. Up until now, this has been the psalmist. I know, I know how the Bible's written. I realize it's, in, you know, it, it's from the Word of God. But this is in quotes, right? So the psalmist wants to say, I'm writing this, Right? And then now God is actually speaking. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In the Hebrew, be still means Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, our comforter. But when this is said as a command, it's a little bit different. It means to be weak, to cease, or the better version is, to surrender. He's saying, it's time to surrender. Coming to faith in Christ for the first time is all about surrender, but that's a daily surrender we make as well. Our surrender, or being still, includes the repentance of our sin, the forgiveness to our enemies, loving the friend or family who's wronged you, even if you have to live with the consequences of their sin. It includes giving up your right to be right. You surrender your emotions, 
Do a little gut check on your life right now. Surrender your emotions, your anger, your pride, jealousy, resentment, unforgiveness, lust, and greed. Some of you need to surrender your words on Facebook. (laughs) Not to Facebook. Surrender your words. Surrender your voice. Hold back what you're going to say and let God's word go before you. And surrender your politics. I don't mean stop voting. I mean surrender that fight for political biases and not be so worried that your particular voice and your particular politics isn't preeminent when you know that God's word is preeminent. Let God's word be preeminent in your voice, in your daily conversations, in your heart, in your emotions. I want you to know this morning as we close that Jesus Christ is this tangible expression for what it means to be still. He is the expression of what it means to surrender your life. He's the ultimate expression of surrender. Christ surrendered his throne and took on our humanity. He surrendered his rights and was condemned to die. He surrendered his life at the cross to save us from God's wrath. But it's more than that. He spoke words of surrender. Remember this? He told waves to be still, and they ceased. He told demons to be still, and they fled. He told disease to be still, and bodies were healed. And he tells sinners like you and me to be still, to surrender. And when we do, he forgives us of our sins. I don't know what your story of trouble is. I don't don't know what your story of fears and doubts and concerns are in this world, whether they're personal, internal, or whether there's something with your body physically, or whether it's maybe a trouble you have with a family member, or trouble you have with our country, or trouble you have with your boss. Whatever your troubles are, I want you to know Christ, Christ is the refuge and strength and your very present help in whatever trouble you're in. You run to him today. So you sing these last few songs, the band comes up, and we'll pray, and I'll pray for you. I I want you to surrender this morning. Surrender your right to be right. Surrender your sins. Surrender your your whole existence to the Lord. Make sure you're not hanging on to anything else and living in that trouble.